sliding past 7 o'clock. You hear the music, you know what time it is. It's time for Iron Sports. This, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, you know, as the uh, summer begins, sports kind of die down, especially if you're not a baseball fan. There's not much going on. But we've got plenty to talk about here on Ira on Sports. You're at the NBA Draft. And I think a lot of people would never even dream of going to an NBA draft. You've been to a few times. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but first and foremost, big interview coming up a little bit later in the show, probably around 745. It's with David Armstrong. Tell us about him. Um, David is the president of St. Thomas University. Uh, David comes from the Ohio, Pennsylvania area. St. Thomas University is a school in Fort Lauderdale, Miami mm -hmm. Gardens, literally right next to the Hard Rock Stadium. And they are now going to have a football program, their basketball program. They brought in a big name coach from Pennsylvania. So he's going to be one of the top basketball programs at the NAIA in the country. And he started the football program. And it's going to be interesting because he has St. Thomas because of their affiliation with the Dolphins, because the Dolphins and uh, they, they, almost literally share the same practice facilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, also the Super Bowl is going to be using all of St. Thomas for the Super Bowl in February. So there's a lot of sports connotations, but they'll talk about the school. And I thought it was really interesting to bring him on because here you have, we hear everything bad with sports and colleges mm -hmm. and with the shoe companies paying off players and this thing and people getting paid to go into schools. for this is, He's going to give the other side, the refreshing side where <laughs> it's where he feels as a president what athletics does for the school for the players uh, it was I think it's a different view and I think it was neat to get the president to come in uh, especially from a school like St. Thomas and he, and he really is one he's emphasizing sports you know and it's a, a very um a very predominant school here in Florida that a lot of people probably don't even know about that it's right in our back door here in Miami Gardens and the one reason I also would have him on is he has a his probably one of the best sports management yeah. uh, 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 um, majors you could have and um, we looked at who's, who's graduated from it. Dave Gettleman, who's the general yeah. manager of the Giants. Andy Ellsberg, who is the general manager of the Miami Heat, uh, the general manager of the Tigers. I mean, go throughout all major sports. Uh, somebody sort of from St. Thomas University. So it was interesting to have him on talk about his sports management major also. I did think that was really cool that, yeah, a lot of people that are high up in, in offices, you know, this is where GMs come from, is schools like this. So it'll be fun to pick his brain. Um, we, we talked to him earlier today, very busy guy, but we'll uh, catch you up on that interview just about 7 40 Ira, we always start to show off with where you been. So uh, this was kind of a quiet week for you in some senses, but still a lot of action. What'd you do? It wasn't that quiet because I was at the draft and <laughs> I loved going to the draft. It is, I've been going to the draft since like 1992 and I've missed some years. It hasn't always been in New York, but when I first went there, it was like at the Felt Forum, which was underneath the Master Square. And there's another arena there and there's not many people people that went there, it might have been like a few hundred, mm -hmm. maybe 500 people were there. Um, you didn't have to pay for a ticket. He they said had, it was NBA, free. Free <laughs> NBA was like hoping would someone show up. It was almost like a game show. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I, I paid a lot of money for this ticket for this today. <laughs> and it was totally sold out. Barclays Center filled. People were sitting in the upper deck to watch a draft. I mean, they're not playing sports. They're wearing suits. But it was it was amazing. Now you see the football draft and they have 400,000 people in Tennessee. Crazy. They're going to be in Cleveland next year. They're trying to get for you know, a million people in Cleveland so it's a little bit different but for the basketball draft it definitely is exciting to be there and and be where I sat was pretty cool because I saw met a lot of the players and their uh, coaches uh, it was a lot of fun you know I, I've never been to any draft so tell us a little bit about um, you know what you experienced a, a, as you got there today for I think you said your third time well, no, not third. Oh, I would say it's my 20th time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I thought you said it was only uh, your third one attending. That's crazy. But um, 
so you said they packed out Barclays, which is really surprising to me because I didn't think that many people were interested in this that they'd want to go. There's and they're, and it's great because they're not just Nick fans. I mean, they're everyone. They're Nets fans, Raptor fans. There's fans everywhere. They love coming to this event. And it was weird how the draft is set up. Is that they say there's a green room? Well, it really is in the middle. The, the room is in the on the on the floor, mm. and that's where the top twenty picks are. And that's usually who's in that in that area. And they don't really have the team set up where they're like in the NFL where they have the headsets and they're walking up. It's just usually the picks are on the floor. They have tables or with their families and their coaches. So Calipari's down there and their agents are down there and they're on the floor. And then there's a stage and and that's about it. And everyone, there's media everywhere around it, but it was, it's a, it's different than the NFL draft in terms of they just really just emphasize the players and their families. Um, it does. They do do a good job on TV of making it seem different than that. You'd think it they were behind, you know, in this special room, and it's hard to tell, you know, from what you see by being there. Um, tell us a little bit about how everything went down, and I know you had a little bit of a hang up with the tickets, and this probably stressed you out a little. Well, bit. I just, I sometimes I when I talk on the show, I talk about tickets. And everyone's asked, how, how do you get your tickets?" And I thought this story is interesting because I bought a ticket on StubHub, but I want to be in the section twenty four, and there's a lot of sections. But from my past experiences. Section 24 is where all the players that aren't invited to the draft, they come anyway. So mm-hmm. even though you're not invited to the draft, you can go there because if you get selected, you get to go on stage. And that's a big thrill to go yeah. walk on stage, even if it's at 12.30 in the morning, on, but it's still on ESPN at 1230 in the morning. So I've been in the years past, there's been maybe 10 or 8, 10, 12 people up there. Uh, there this year, there might have been 30 players. Crazy. Like all of Section 24 was that. How, many, I, how many get drafted of that, thir- of that percentage? But that was what was so amazing about this draft is that you're down to the, like the final five or six picks and there's still 12, 15 people up there. Yeah. I felt so bad. And then when the draft was over, um, players who get drafted, they're crying. Their families are crying. It was really, I mean, Bobby Hurley was sitting there with his two players uh, that were that were drafted. They didn't get drafted and they were supposed to. I mean, a lot of people say, well, why did they come? Well, they were projected to go in mm-hmm. the second round. They just didn't get, they didn't get drafted. And it was, so it's a really taco fall from Central Florida. Everyone thought he was going to be drafted and he can't really hide anywhere. He's seven six, and he sat there for like two hours of the second round yeah. just waiting to get drafted. And I, I was going to, I'll skip to this story right now, but the interesting thing is when they call when they make the announcement of the of the player it, it, what they have to have a camera it's not like the cameras just like fly over there's a, there's like one main cameraman and then maybe two other cameramen so they're there when they're ready to make the announcement they go oh the pick is Zion Williamson like they know mm-hmm. so you know who the pick is I talked about this last year when we talked about the draft but when when you're the later picks they're coming up so now that I felt bad for the cameraman I mean, he got a workout he's walking up the entire like maybe 20 30 steps to go up to the audience to where the players are sitting. They're sitting in suits and they have a, he has a, a director who's telling him who's going to pick. So they know at least three, four minutes before you hear on TV mm-hmm. who's going to get picked. Well, the camera would come up and they would set around the player and then it was neat because then you could see, like I'm sitting in front of all these players and around mm-hmm. them and the cameras are like, oh my gosh, like the uh, 21st pick went to the Spurs who was a Croatian who was not even projected in the first round. When they, I couldn't, I mean, he's just sitting in front of them. They go, oh, we hope we're, and even they said, we hope we're in the second round. And then they get picked 21st in the first round. It's a big deal. Everybody's crying. They're hugging. It's a big thing in the media. Well, near the end of the draft, the camera guy would run up the stairs and all the players were like, come to me, come to me, come to me. And it was like, it would just go over, maybe veer to the right. And maybe by that time, they're 
very few fans still at like 12 o'clock in, in mm. midnight. And like there's two Raptor fans and they were drafting maybe like the uh, 55th pick and they would go right to the Raptor fans and the players were like looking to kill these Raptor fans because <laughs> they're jumping up down like idiots. They're mm. running in the round and they're like, no, we wanted the camera to come to us, not the stupid Raptor fans. <laughs> so that was just exciting, that whole interaction. And it was great to talk. I mean, I talked to so many parents and they're so proud. Like I would go up to them and say, boy, congratulations and try to get a couple of them talk to them perhaps we're gonna get a number of them on our show in the future because i made some good contacts and it was really good it was really they were like these parents are like i just love this even if their player their son was drafted the 55th the 56th pick mm-hmm. um it was it was it's very a big deal and it was just it was exciting to be there and see the emotion and the place could be empty and it was five hours after zion got picked but the player that was picked with the 58th pick was just as excited as zion was you know you would know better than than me or better than most, a lot of those guys who were there that didn't get drafted, they were signed relatively quickly, correct? I mean, I see that, you know, uh, uh, there's a rash of signings right after the draft is over because these guys are just free agents. They get signed to the D-League, I guess? Well, no, they get signed with the two ways with the team. So there's called a two-way option where they're going to be signed and they play in the D- the G-League, the D-League. And a lot of these second-round picks, most of, I mean, even a lot of the first-round picks are going to play in the G-League yeah. now. Um but yeah, and sometimes you don't even want to be like, um, I went to school with Jay Billis and Jay Billis, this is the year the draft used to be seven rounds. And so these players didn't have a chance. These teams would draft these players like Jay and Jay said, I didn't want to be drafted in the fifth round because I'd rather be able to, because the Sorry Mavericks, he wants. <laughs> I wanted to go where I want to go. And the Mavericks had his rights and weren't really playing him, but then he couldn't even try to go to camps and try to show. So some of these players that when you're near the end and you hear that in the football too, it's almost like you don't want to be in the final, the seventh round of the NFL draft. You'd rather be unsigned. So then you can pick the right oppor- you know the right opportunity for you, the team that you want to go to. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, what happened with the tickets. Well, just real fast is that um, I I had a ticket in section twenty six. I it was on my phone, and then it said go. And when I got to the draft, I could buy section twenty four, and I buy through StubHub. And I usually just sell. I was going to go sell the ticket, but mm. I couldn't get the section twenty four ticket downloaded to me. I didn't want to sell the section twenty six ticket when I had this other ticket. So I'm waiting, 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 waiting. It was a to- then when I finally got and I called StubHub. They're helping me. I finally got the section twenty four ticket, and it was like too late. So I go to sell the twenty six twenty six ticket, but it wasn't like one of those transfers. Everybody who sold on StubHub knows you just it's easy to sell a ticket master you couldn't sell it i had to actually go pick up the ticket at will call take a picture of it and send it so but weird. then i would have no time i would have no time in the draft so then i said oh i'll just sell it on Ticketmaster." but then Ticketmaster, for some reason had a seven o'clock <laughs> shut off where you can't resell the tickets so my ticket is still sitting at uh in the barclays center i never <laughs> used that but then stubba was great because they explained it and i got a full refund on that first ticket so that was nice of them to do to me you did a little bit of uh, by the way this is iron sports it's the true oldies channel on mike balsamo 745 we're joined by the president of St. Thomas University in Miami Gardens, Mr. David Armstrong. Ira, you did a little bit of uh, history for us here, and you're going to go back to 2003, which is one of the best drafts we've probably had in the last 20 years. So tell us about uh, well, how these kind of stacked up. I just want to pick out – I just. Uh, I wanted to do this last week, but we're too busy with the finals. And they moved the draft up a week. So there used to be a, lo- a gap. There, now we, we did the NBA finals last week. Yeah. Now we're already ready to draft. Then we're into free agency. So it's just the, NF- the NBA just controls the narrative But in this time of year. But everyone remembers the 2003 draft. Uh, LeBron James, number one. 
Darko Milicic, who nobody remembers, number two. It was Detroit, right? I think it was. Detroit, right? And because they said, we don't need Carmelo. And then Chris Bosh to Toronto and Dwayne Wade to Miami. And that was really— Four Hall of Famers in the first five. Yeah, four Hall of Famers in the first five. And the Darko pick—and the reason Darko got picked was because he had this great workout. And the uh, (laughs) Detroit—I think it was Joe Dumars was at this workout, and he supposedly made like 50 out of 50 shots. He's like—he was like a seven-foot foreign player. He looked Mm. at him and said, he's going to be the next great player. And I think that Darko— was picked in front of Carmelo, Bosch, and Wade is just tremendous. Great. But everyone knew James was going to be one. But then people say, well, I'll just jump into another draft. 2007, Greg Odom played at Ohio State, was played for the national championship, was this great star player, actually played for Mike Connolly, was just traded. And Kevin Durant. And they were, people didn't know who was better, Odin or Durant, Odin, Durant. It was back and forth. And Portland took Odin and yeah. Seattle, which then became Oklahoma City, kept Kevin Durant. So, mm-hmm. I mean, on some of these picks, you're like looking back and like, how did this happen? How about 2008? The Bulls picked Derrick Rose. And coming up to it, it was going to be Derrick Rose, Michael Beasley. Michael Beasley played at Oklahoma State. And they go, Derrick Rose, Michael Beasley. They could tell. Kansas State. Kansas State. Kansas State. Very good. Kansas State. And they could decide which one. And when Beasley fell to the heat, people said, you know, he's the better player. Well, clearly he wasn't. (laughs) As much as we say about Rose's career, uh, Michael Beasley did not. Wasn't worth really. And the weird thing about that pick was that Westbrook was the fourth pick and Kevin Love was the fifth pick. So even if they didn't get the right pick between Rose or Beasley, you sort of missed it on that. Definitely one of Pat's bigger mistakes. Yes. And then the other one was in 2009. Blake Griffin went one. And then a player, Memphis took Hazim Thabit, number two. And James Harden was number three. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, that, I mean, these are huge misses. It's not like, ah, you could have had both ones. But that was a big miss. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to jump to, how about the 2011 draft? Kyrie Irving and Derek Williams. And coming into this draft, Kyrie got hurt for Duke. So he was injured and only played a few games. And Derek Williams played at Arizona, was a good player. And people were like, I don't know, Kyrie, Derek Williams. Kyrie, Derek Williams, very close. The Cavs went with Kyrie. Of course, he's much better than Derek Williams, who nobody's talked about. (laughs) But also, how about that draft, the 2011 draft? Kemba Walker, who is talking about getting a max deal in this region. He went number nine. Clay Thompson went number 11. And Kawhi Leonard went number 15. And Jimmy Butler went number 30. Stacked. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, it's, and then the two Morris brothers were drafted 13 and 14, Marquise and Marcus, which is funny because all these other great players. But it, it was amazing that the Timberwolves picked Derek Williams at number two when you could add Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, those things. Um uh, a 2012 draft, Anthony Davis, clear number one, just like this year. The Pelicans picked him at, at, uh, at they weren't called the Pelicans back then. I think they were the Hornets mm-hmm. at that time. But they picked Anthony Davis. But Draymond Green, number 35 in that draft. Um, well, let's uh, put, and jump to maybe the uh, uh, 2017 draft. We'll, we'll talk about that one. Where Markel Fultz went one, Lonzo Ball two, and Tatum from Boston went three. And, Great and move Fultz, by Ainge. And the, yeah, and Philadelphia were actually... Boston traded back to go back in. Philadelphia traded up, gave Boston more picks, and picked Marco Fultz, who quite honestly could be out of this league in about a year or two yeah. because he's been traded around. He's playing in Orlando, and nobody even talks about him. And that, he's going to be one of the worst first-round picks maybe ever. He's at that possibility. So it was just it's interesting when you go back and look at the drafts and say, wow, where could we drafted and what happened? Because you look at it now, and people say, oh, who? I love how everybody analyzes the draft. Clearly, you do not analyze the draft after the draft is done. This mm. is something you have to look for years in advance, like what happened. Yeah, we still don't even know. You know, this was a, the last year's draft was actually pretty good, and we, th- you know, the uh, the jury's still out on a lot of these guys. It just hasn't hasn't been long enough. Um, so tell us about this draft. Um, one of the weird things 
watching on TV, Ira, was that the trades happen so fast, and they're they're literally analyzing a player. Oh, he's going to be a great fit in Phoenix. Oh, he's not on Phoenix anymore. You know, it was really strange. It must have been tougher for you to follow. Impossible to follow. Because especially in the second round, I don't think a team drafted their own draft pick. But they were all trading. They were buying picks, so they were saying they were getting with their hats on. They were excited about it, but it was not. It was. It was. It was a mess because they weren't even allowed to announce the trades until after the July first, after the after it said. So people made these trades, and the people were drafting. And if you look on ESPN, where they have like who was drafted, like this person was drafted for. There was like five people had that draft pick, and they were just bouncing around. Yeah, it's and it's really they have to change that because when someone comes up on stage, like they had this neat system now where the player was announced, he could come up and they would get his. Hat. They had two. They had a, a boy basketball player and a girl basketball player holding the hats and handing it to him mm-hmm. before they went to Adam Silver or Tatum, the deputy commissioner. So I really liked it. It was almost sort of like the soccer with little kids yeah. coming out. So I thought it was a good. That was a good way to do it. But nobody had the hat, and they're wearing the hats, and they know they're not going to play them. They know it's just it was a joke, and yeah. they shouldn't have done it like that. It looks foolish. Um, all right, so let's talk about this one. I, I think it was pretty overwhelmingly uh, overwhelmingly favorite uh, Zion Williamson going first, and of course that did happen. It was. He, I think he's one of the reasons why it was so expensive to go to the draft, why it was yeah, packed. Probably. Because people feel he's a transformation. I mean, I, we talked about this. I'm on the B- Riviera Beach sitting there, and I hadn't seen Zion play ever. And I saw him play against the Canadian team with Leifer Duke. And the first five minutes, I'm screaming on the beach. I mean, I almost got arrested because I'm like, I, I, I heard that Duke, this R.J. Barrett guy was good, this Cam Reddish guy was good, but Zion was like so much better than everything I've ever seen. Mm. And then you watch him during the year and how great he plays. And... I'm telling you, I if he fails as an NBA player, I'll be in shock. I mean, last year at the same position, Julius Randle had 21 points and 10 rebounds. And Zion Williamson is so much better than Julius Randle. He is going, people say, well, he might not average. He's going to easily average 20 points. The way the NBA game spread out, and he hustles, he gets rebounds, he plays hard. I, they People talk his outside shot, all, everything. They said Michael Jordan didn't have a great outside shot. I mean, all these things you say, <laughs> he's just, you can't guard him. I mean, mm. there's a point where you cannot guard him. The way the NBA is spaced, where the NBA is, is fast paced. He's going to get the ball and just dunk all the time. He does, and he's going to. But he has an inside game. He has shots. He's he's going to be phenomenal. So I think it was a great pick for New Orleans. And look at what he's done to the. He's gone down back to New Orleans the last two days. All the events he's done down there. The town has gone nuts for him. And I think it's. I said I thought it was the perfect place. I said my girlfriend thought it was the perfect place for him to go. Mm-hmm. And and he is so transformational. I'm telling you, people uh, like my girlfriend, for example, doesn't follow the NBA. She's like now into into New Orleans. A lot of people I know. That Say I gotta follow New Orleans. Like they love Zion. Probably didn't even know they had a they team. Don't know, some they people. don't know. They don't know. They don't know the Pelicans. They don't even. They call it the New Orleans team. They don't even know it's called the mm-hmm. Pelicans. But I think he's so he's he is a LeBron. He is a Jordan. He's that transformational player that people are gonna watch these games. His shoe deal. Watch for his shoe deal. It's gonna be a hundred million dollars a year. I mean, it's gonna be a hundred million. It, it'll be the biggest shoe deal ever. He is as popular as anything, and he was great. He was wearing that white suit just like LeBron wore. Mm-hmm. He came out the smile. He stayed in the arena. He talked to everybody. He was slap. He was high five at everybody that was walking around. Very friendly. And I liked it later when one of the Pelicans players uh, got picked. Both of them, he, their other picks were good. He would come up and greet them after they got picked. Mm-hmm. He just played the role perfectly. You think that um, who I think is going to be a fine player in his own right, uh, John Morant, got a over you know overshadowed by all the Zion craziness. John Morant from Murray State, if you watch him in the tournament, was simply tremendous. 
But in this draft, he was totally over <laughs> because you have Zion and people are going crazy for Zion. And then the next pick was the Knicks with R.J. Barrett, who they are like the savior. So you have this. And then, oh, in the middle is John Moran. Well, John Moran's <laughs> phenomenal. And guess what? If the Knicks had the number two pick, they'd pick John Moran. But the you fact so? is, yeah, they would. They, I would have. I would have picked. I think they said that they would pick. There was thought that he would try to move up to get him. But but anyway, R.J. Barrett wore this pink suit and he played it up perfectly. Again, someone. These players are so mature. His father. Father played in the NBA. Uh, his godfather, uh, Steve Nash. His godfather, Steve Nash. His <laughs> mom was a basketball player. I mean, he he's, he knows how to handle this. He is, both, All these players are very prepared. I mean, he worked the crowd. He just walked around. He walked in the audience. He was tremendous. I mean, he was great. He stayed there for two hours. Like every now, every like 15 minutes, R.J. Bear would come out. The fans would go crazy. He would come out, shake more hands. Just a great... He likes it. He embraces this New York. He didn't work out for any other teams. Yeah. He wanted to go to New York. And after all this, Christoph Persingis and uh, Frank and Nicotina, all the, they've been drafting all these European players. The Knicks finally drafted someone that everybody's seen, everybody liked. And and they said, oh, we don't want to put too much. Oh, there's pressure on R.J. Barrett. There's oh, yeah. a lot of pressure on him. No, ab- absolutely. And I'm glad, like you said, he em- he's embracing it. He wanted to be. Oh, a Nick. he wants to. Nobody's bring wanted it to on. be a Nick forever. Bring it on. <laughs> he wants. To, he'll say, look, sign me up. If I could sign a 20 year deal, he signed for the Knicks. He's done. He grew up. He grew up. His grandfather would watch Nick games, and when he was little, and supposedly watching with him, and then he watched with his. He just he he's been a lifelong Nick fan his entire life. Like this is perfect for him. He loves it. He just did not want to be go anywhere else. Um, you know, it's something that is kind of strange. If this was the NFL and you had the fourth pick and someone offered you 8, 17, and 35, you, you don't even hesitate to take that deal. In the NBA, it's a little different. Even though it's just four picks, the talent level can drop off completely. But we did see a big trade. Obviously, Atlanta likes something in uh, DeAndre Hunter because and they actually gave New Orleans three picks. and they got a number one for next year on that trade. I, I, did they, they really? got Cavaliers number one for oh, next okay. year. So, but yeah, they moved up for DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, who I saw play, who was a sophomore. Who anybody saw watch the tournament saw what a great he's a forward, but he shoots threes well, plays great defense. If you considered one of the best defenders, I mean, Atlanta is making some smart moves. Yeah. That's someone who they felt like he was going to be a difference maker. So a they lot felt- of people really like Jackson Hayes, who the Pelicans were still able to get. Uh, what was it? Four picks later, at eight they picked they picked Jackson from Texas, who is only was only a freshman, but seven feet tall, very athletic. Again, great attitude, great person. Everybody says the right thing. I mean, it seems like. First of all, it's hard to find any players that had any attitude problems. They do seem to be great players or whatever, but Jackson Hayes would seem to fit in well with what they're trying to do in New Orleans with Zion because they don't want Zion to play center all the time. They want him to play a forward because they'd rather him not have to rebound. Have all that the time. big mismatch, yes. too, typically. Um, so then what happened after there? I think it was pretty clear cut, uh, at least us watching at home, kind of knew what was going to happen five, six, seven. I liked, I liked Cavaliers with Darius Garland. Uh, he played at, at Vanderbilt, got hurt after six games. Some people said he would been the number two pick if he was healthy and would have played the whole year. But they have Colin Sexton, who they drafted last, year. last year. But yeah. Garland is, is going to be a very good pick for Cleveland, who's who's uh, uh, coming up there. Minnesota picked this Jarrett Culver. If we watched the tournament, I mean, if you watched the tournament this year, you saw a lot of these players. Texas Tech had that uh, you know tremendous team, went to the championship game. Culver uh, went to Minnesota. The Bulls got this point guard from North Carolina, Kobe White. Everybody remembers him with the crazy hair. But he he's he's going to be a great. He's going to be the point guard for the Bulls. So that was very that was amazing. And uh, uh, Ray Hoshimara, the first Japanese player ever drafted, went. There was a lot of firsts this draft. Went to the Washington Wizards with the ninth pick, and like one of the first droppings was Cam Reddish for Duke. Mm-hmm. Everyone said, "Oh, Duke has three of the top four players." Yeah, they have this and that. He 
what? dropped all the way to 10. You think to it was Atlanta. deserving? Deserving because he didn't play well this year. And yeah. I felt like that's what, uh, what, you know, what happened. And then the Suns picked Cam Johnson from North Carolina. And it was a big surprise. He was projected like the end of the first round. And even Kobe White was being interviewed. He goes, what do you think about your teammate Cam Johnson getting picked? He's like, oh, he got picked? That's crazy. <laughs> I'm so great for Cam. I mean, it was really, I, I was liked how he said that. And then Charlotte picked P.J. Washington of Kentucky. And then the Heat picked up Tyler Hero. And uh, the, they want, and Hero is embracing this. Talk about a confident person. I mean, he, Oh, yeah, he is. He, he shot, he's a shooter. 6'5", uh, 196. He was supposed to go to Wisconsin at the last minute. He grew up in Wisconsin, went to Kentucky, and uh, only averaged 14 points a game. But people thought Nazar Little from North Carolina was going to go with that heat pick. But the Heat are clearly into shooters. They want shooting. They want spacing. And, uh, I mean, they seemed, they really were happy with that pick a lot. Uh, just a couple other picks just to mention. Boston took Romeo Langford from Indiana. Um, they had a really good draft. I like what Boston did. They had they picked him, but they also got Carson Edwards later from Purdue. Anyone remembers that tournament, the great shots he had? And and they also got uh, Grant Williams from Tennessee, another guard. Like It seems like they're getting scores, players, people that played big time in college basketball. I really liked what, what Boston was able to do. Um, I talked to the Spurs, picked that Lucas Semetic, who was right in front of me when, uh, when he got picked. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and uh, what's another good pick that I really like? Portland finally got Nazar Little. And I mentioned Nazar Little because he went with the 25th pick. And he was supposed to be like the 10th pick. Mm-hmm. And he dropped to 25. Going into last year, he was ahead of R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. Yeah, he was the MVP of the McDonald's game. Like People thought Nazar Little. And he went to North Carolina and just had a weird year. He didn't get really hurt. He was just not in the swing of things. But if you watch the tournament, it's like he's too talented to go. I think Portland... I love that pick. I think he's going to do. Yeah, he got a steal. I thought he got a total steal. I think he's going to do. He's going to be great. Um, it was interesting. Warriors picked at twenty-eight. Jordan Poole from Michigan. Poole was sitting right behind me. Oh, when they came, they, he was pumped for that. He was just so excited. Jan, they were just. I just the vote. The enthusiasm was great. Um, a player that really fell was Bol Bol. Everyone thought the Bol Bol was Manute Bol's son. That suit. And they thought, yeah, with the suit with the spiders. <laughs> yeah. And everybody thought that he was going to hit a suit that was all a spider suit. And he's 7'4". Mm-hmm. And everyone thought he, and he shoots threes great. But everyone thought he was going to be a top 10, 12, 13 pick. But he fell the whole time, all the way down to, to, to way at the end of the draft. And then when Duke finally drafted him. But, uh, but there was, no, it, it was, I think that was an interesting pick. Um, an interesting pick the Warriors did. They drafted. What was happening now is that teams are putting people in their G League teams and then drafting them. So there was a lot of G League players that got drafted that were young. They're like 18-year-old players, so they can't play in college. They didn't play in pro, so they came over and played. And they drafted this huh. Alan's, uh, Alan Samaljic from Serbia, who they really liked. Um, and uh, the Clippers picked Terrence Mann from Florida State. So we have not many Florida players, but he was picked with the 48th pick. Uh, the first Ivy League player in like 20 years got drafted. Mimi Oni from Yale, 58th pick. He went to Utah, but I thought that was interesting. And uh, Deron Hernandez from Miami, 59th pick, got drafted by Toronto. So a lot of teams didn't have draft picks. The Mavericks, the Rockets, they didn't even uh, yeah. they didn't have picks in the draft. But it's as I said, I think I like what Boston did with some of their guards. Um, and and I do. I think. Look, everybody drafts for their their situation. I like Nazar Little at, at Portland, and but you, but usually the star players are the ones who are drafted early. Uh, I love Zion. He's going to make a difference. You are listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. It's seven thirty one. I'm Mike Balsamo at seven forty five. David Armstrong. He's the president of St. Thomas University in Miami Gardens. Joins us. Have a great interview with him. Uh, so Ira, the NBA, they do a great job of staying in the print. 
and staying, having us talk about them all season long. And this season's free agency is surely the biggest one we've had in years with the likes of uh, Kawhi Leonard coming up. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on in free agency because I think that the, obviously the whole landscape of the league is going to shift. Well, just remember that the, when people talk about a salary cap, there's a cap in the NBA. It's 109 million, and that's and the, but there's a difference between 109 is that then there's a tax at 132. So the point is that in between it, then there's limitations. If you go, you're allowed to go over. It's a soft cap, so you can go over to sign your own players, and there's ways you can do it. But once you're over the cap, you're limited. Like the Warriors are over the cap; they're limited in what they could do. Mm-hmm. That's why. They, they can't just say, and we're not going to sign Kevin Durant. We'll sign someone else. They can't sign anyone else. Either sign Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson or they don't. They're still over the cap with all the mm-hmm. money they have. So, and then once you're over the cap, then you started paying. It's not just like a tax is like, sometimes it goes up to $3, three, $3 for every dollar you spend. So for instance, you gave someone a $10 million contract. It's not a $10 million contract. It's a $40 million contract. It's crazy. So you hear about these teams like, oh, they're shedding. They don't want to pay the tax. They don't want to pay the tax. They're so cheap. It's not really, they're cheap. It's a huge tax. I mean, it's $40 million for a player that's really a $10 million dollar player i think i read somewhere that if the warriors signed all four guys to max deals they'd be paying over a billion dollars yes in payroll which would be unbelievable and then you're limited in terms of what you can possibly can do in signing other players um the other weird thing is there's called a there's a you can either sign your own player to five years or if you sign someone else's player it's four years and the way they increase is it increases the percentage changes so it's like either a five-year deal at 194 or four-year at 141 it's different times of how many how many years they're in the league and there's also a thing called a super max and that was what the nba put in because they really want to encourage the star players to stay in and it's been it's called that's a five-year like 240 million dollar contract Curry, Harden, Westbrook, and Wall all have these like five years, two hundred and twenty-one million dollar contracts. And but you have to be on one of the first teams of the NBA. So this year, Clay Thompson and Bradley Beal didn't. They got screwed. They didn't get on that team. And but weird is that Leonard, George, they turned it down. George was in Indiana. They offered him the supermax. He didn't want it. Kyle Leonard didn't want it. And they turned down. They ended up losing 50-some million dollars. They knew they were losing it. And Anthony Davis this year, who got traded to the Lakers, he gave up his right to get a Supermax. So it was interesting to see about how the Supermax works. And now Kemba Walker can be offered it for the Charlotte. And you're thinking that's why Charlotte's going to try to keep him. But they're going to be paying him like $40, $45 million of a $120 million cap. So it's like $110 million cap. Mm-hmm. So it's really a question whether these players... I mean, someone said, I want the Max. Well, the Max is a lot of money. <laughs> and but what's exciting about this year is you have all the free agents and you have all this cap room. The Nets have 67 million, the Knicks 60, the Kings 60, the Sixers 60, the Clippers 54, the Mavs 46, Indiana 34, Boston could have 52, even New Orleans is 32, and the Lakers have potentially 32. I mean, you have there's like 15 teams that could all sign a max free agent. So suddenly you have all these free agents that are available, and all these teams have salary cap room to sign these free agents. They've really planned for this year. And of course, the, the two big ones are Leonard and Durant. I mean, that's what the, you've been asking me, you know, and I always say, I want to talk about the games. I don't want to talk about, <laughs> but this is when you get to talk about it yeah, because this else, is what no it other is. Games. And, and, and Kawhi Leonard has a choice. Does he want to go to the, I really think it's between two teams, the Clippers and staying in Toronto. And I agree. he has a mansion. He's from San Diego. He grew up there, went to school at San Diego State. His when he went when they went the, when they won the title, he had like two hundred friends and family up for the game. He is San Diego to the heart. He even when he played at San Antonio, he would always go to San Diego. He spent his off seasons there. I'm telling you, I know everyone's saying he's going to go stay in Toronto now. I think that's what the tea leaves are reading because he's hanging out there. 
I think he goes to the Clippers. Yeah. I think he wants. I think I, it's it, and I might be he's wrong. He's a West Coast guy. He's West Coast, and I think he's gonna. And no one's. Toronto's gonna be mad at him. Like they're gonna give him a standing ovation when he comes back. He brought them a title, but I think he goes to the Clippers. I think it's not like LeBron when LeBron left Cleveland the second time. LeBron's from Cleveland, but, but this is a point where I think he really wants to go to the Clippers, and he's already left a team one time. He was not a Raptor forever. It's not like he was in Spurs and he's moving. He was at San Antonio, and they had a problem with San Antonio. Their inability to keep him. He sat almost out an entire year. Then he goes to Toronto and plays it, and. Toronto, though, worked with his schedule. He likes the coach. He likes the general manager, loves his teammates. Just thinking he's going to go to the Clippers. If I had to bet on it, absolutely, I'd say Clippers. <clears throat> Let's talk about, um, you know, what do you think is going to happen with Durant? Because I know now there's a lot of weird things happening where they're saying he might sign with Golden State just for Golden State to trade him. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this Well, situation. he can earn more money. He can five years, $219 yeah. million if he signs. He doesn't get – he gets – that's sort of max, but it's not five years, 219 if he stays. If he goes somewhere else, it's four years, 162. So he'd be losing $50 million, but it's actually in another year if he left to go somewhere else. But this is a really, now you hear rumors about this. He's going to go to the net. He, with his Achilles injury, we had the doctor on. How long is he going to sit out? That's the question. But I really think that, I think it, it's between the Nets and staying at Golden State. I'm going to, I just, I don't know on this one. I'm not going to make a prediction. I think this is really because his injury throws so much in the loop and I'm not sure. So, but it's I would. As complex as it could be. <laughs> I think, I think, I think Golden State, for some reason, I think there's just too much money to stay in Golden State. I think he wants the long-term deal. He just suffered the Achilles injury and I think he's going to stay at Golden State. Um, let's move on, Ira, because uh, we're running out of time rapidly and we do have a great interview coming up in just about 10 minutes or so. Team USA, and I'm on this show um, admitting that I love U.S. women's soccer. It's not that I don't love the men, but the women are really, really good. They didn't look that great today, Ira, and I know Spain's a good team, but this was uh, an interesting match, and Team USA shouldn't take this one lightly because this could have been a loss. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we don't talk soccer that much on our show, but— the the whole talk about Team USA was when they beat Thailand 13 yeah. nothing. they celebrated after every goal, and they were defending themselves for celebrating. I think that sort of took them away, even though they had that great win. But as anyone, it's like, I think it distracted them from like, well, there are other teams. Like this tournament <laughs> is set up that there's maybe like two or three teams that could beat Team USA, and I think that distracted them. They ended up beating Chile 3 nothing, Sweden 2 nothing, and so they were 18 nothing going to the game. But, I mean, I watched the game today, and they, they, won on a, they scored a goal early on a penalty kick, but then they made a a bad mistake. I mean, if you watch hockey, one of just like almost a goaltender just pushing, you know, giving the puck into his own end, and uh, and and Spain had another goal to tie it up, and then they played even. I mean, Spain played. Spain's a good team. It yeah, was not that good. they look good, and then. One of the worst. I mean, you talk about penalties. I mean, we could say we're for American. It's great, but they called a penalty on spun the Spanish, uh, one of the Spanish defenders uh, in in the penalty box. Uh, and I mean, I watched this. I mean, the touch. It might have touched the person. The American player uh, Rose. Uh, what's her name? Rose Lafau. Yeah. She, she fell down, mm-hmm. but it it it. I don't. I mean, it looked like she wasn't even hit. And then they actually reviewed it. They re- it. It's about as ticky tack as you can get. And then. Uh, Alexis Morgan was going. Alex Morgan was going to to, hit, to take the penalty shot, but instead, after they reviewed it, they put Rapino back in, and then she made the penalty shot, and the United States was able to hold on and win. Um, and, but that was a terrible. I cannot believe that was a foul. I mean, when you see what kind, well, how they get hit in soccer, and to call that a foul, and it didn't really affect the play in the uh, box. In yeah. the box, America got a huge benefit. But they play France on Friday. Every there's some people who think France is better than America, so that's going to be almost the the final game would be Friday. It'll be the quarterfinals. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, they're going to have to get some stuff together for, for this match because France is not going to 
take this lightly, being the home country here. Uh, before we talk hockey, we've got a little uh, uh, one of my childhood <laughs> one of my childhood idols pop by to uh, pay you a little message here, Ira. Let's uh, let's see what Mark Messier had to say. Hi, Ira. It's Mark Messier. Want to say happy birthday to you, and more importantly, I guess congratulate you on your new show. I know you've been a big supporter of the NHL and all the guys for a long, long time. A lot of history there. You've done a great job for us. I just want to say good luck and thank you for being a big fan. All the best to you. Happy birthday. I hope you have a great day. Absolutely, absolutely, my idol growing up, Mark Messier. So that was a pretty, well, I, pretty I, nice I, job. One of my you. friends, I don't know Mark Messier, but one of my friends does, and so he was able to get Mark to do that for me. I thought that was really nice, and uh, that was great. And, and everyone who doesn't remember who Mark Messier was, he was uh, at the Edmonton Oilers and was one of the on the one of the considered maybe the greatest team of all time with Wayne Gretzky and Yari mm. Curry and Paul Coffey. I mean, it was amazing how great these players were all on one team. If they would have kept them together, they could have won maybe twenty cups. Yeah, it's and, crazy to think about. And then and then he goes. And then he made, and then he goes to New York, and this is the whole statement. Like Durant, why we go to New York? He said, "I'm coming to New York. We haven't won a title in 50 years. We're going to win a title." And he delivered the title. He did, and that's they guaranteed it, and got the guarantee, and was able to do. Oh, it. I was in sixth grade. I'll never forget it. 1994. And, 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 and Mark Messier won one title in New York, and he's a legend. I mean, yeah. they people don't remember that he played at Edmonton. So he that's like one of those things. If you come to New York, if Ewing had won the title, if you win that one title in New York, you're Joe Namath. I mean, yeah. you're you're at that level. Winning in New York just puts you at that. Phil Sims for the yeah. New York Giants. It's just it's just amazing. You're right. Ewing didn't even win, and he's still a god. You still know, god. imagine. But if, if he had won, yeah. if he won and that's why the Yankee players are so revered. The Jeters, yeah. even the Tito Martinez, some of these Yankees that were like Paul O'Neill. I mean, these are players that had played marginal roles. They were important for the team, but they were not superstar all-time greats. But you talk to Yankee fans or New York fans, they're like, oh, Paul O'Neill. Yeah, Paul O'Neill played his whole career in Cincinnati. We would not be talking about him right now. Exactly. <laughs> and they walk around town and everyone, and they're, and they're yeah. great. So, I mean, that's why. So, anyway, that's about Mark. Thanks, Mark Messi. I mean, even uh, Old Timers Day was yesterday for the Yankees, and guys like Charlie Hayes, the guy was on the team for like a year and a half, made the final out of a World Series, but everyone knows Charlie Hayes. You're absolutely right. Doing it in New York is a little better. Speaking of doing it in New York, we're going to get to see, I think this guy's the next Yarmir Yager, Capo Caco, uh, Finnish forward, Finnish wing, I should say. He's absolutely electric, and he's kind of like, um, uh, what's his name on Dallas? Uh, I can't think of his name, the, the guard that was just drafted. Um, that, but he's been playing professionally, basically, over in Europe for you know years, and he's playing against adults. He's only a, 18 years old. Yeah, as, as a 17 and 18-year-old, so I think he's going to be a huge hit. He was the second pick, though. Jack Hughes, uh, just the, I believe, ninth-born American player ever to be drafted number one overall in the NHL. He's going to... Um, the Devils, but really, I think this was win-win for the Devils and the Rangers, both getting massive players here. I thought Hughes was funny. His father played at Providence. He was assistant at the Bruins. He's the head of player development for Toronto, and his mom won a gold, a silver medal for the U.S. Hockey team. So you want to know how he got into yeah. hockey? But I mean, it was you read about. I mean, they people think Hughes is like Wayne Gretzky. I mean, at that comparison, that type of level. I mean, he's only 170. so he's 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 not that big. But they are both going to be for the Devils and for the Rangers is a big thing and the Florida Panthers draft a goalie Spencer Knight some people you know, it's rare that you draft a goalie in the first round some people say he's one of the best goalies to ever come out so the Panthers really wanted him and, and they were excited to pick him and, and you know what I can't blame them because that's seriously been their downfall these past couple years they they can put good defenses out there but if your goalies are allowing you know two, 2.9 goals a game or whatever their GAA was you're just you're not going to win that many games um Let's talk baseball real quick. We've got a few minutes uh, before we get to David Armstrong. Um, 
this was Albert Pujols' first time returning to uh, to St. Louis because he's obviously switched leagues. Now they do the interleague, but it, this was uh, huge for him, and it, it was kind of a fun weekend for baseball all around. Um, it was great. Uh, Pujols came back. He had hit a home run on Saturday, uh, had hits on Sunday. They were giving a standing ovation. People want to know about the Cardinal fans. We see it here in West Palm Beach. We see it at Roger Dean Stadium. They're true They're class acts. Yeah. True class acts. It was awesome. They love Albert Pujols. They appreciate everything he did. They, he, he, of course, he left. I mean, he should have stayed in St. Louis. I mean, I, it would have been better. He made a lot of money, but he's been you know out of sight, out of mind. But uh, just... Tremendous to see the re- the reaction. I was tremendous. I mean, it was, it was amazing. He's best friends with Yadier Molina, the catcher. They almost hugged. It. I mean, it was amazing. The fans. It was great to see that, and I was glad they put on Sunday Night Baseball, and it was excellent. I thought it was a great thing on both ends. A lot of turmoil in the Mets locker room, and I don't know how Mickey Calloway is still employed. Uh, I saw he was fined. I thought it was fired, but I don't. <laughs> I was watching the women's soccer team, and I'm like, who's going to get fired first? The coach Jill Ellis of the U.S. soccer team if they lose <laughs> this game, or Mickey Calloway because he started yelling at the Newsday reporter, wanted to throw the Newsday reporter for for saying, why are you why are you keeping relievers in for 42 pitches? They're getting shelled because you clearly don't know what you're doing. And uh, then Vargas, their pitcher, starts yelling at the reporter. The Mets get fined. They have to apologize. It's a total mess. The team is a mess. Uh, of course, with the nationally with the wild card, there's still possible. I mean, I can't believe he still has a job. The way that, I mean, he's, everyone knows he's going to get fired. I mean, Gabe Kapler for the Phils, uh, Mickey Calloway for the Mets, they're going to be fired within a week. I mean, both It's crazy of them they've lasted gonna, this long. Phil has lost seven straight games. They were supposed to have with Harper, everybody they signed. Harper, Real, they Muto, lost. yeah. You Reese lose, Hoskins, the rookie, was you get year. You get swept by the Marlins, you're fired. Yeah, like, that should just be the requirement. The they're drawing 44,000 fans, 44,000 fans, 36,000 fans. They're 39 and 38. They're looking at the Braves team go fast. I mean, both the Mets and Phils are, must be, like, throwing their hands up. Like, where are the Braves? Why are they five games ahead of us now? We're supposed to be. We spent all this money. Uh, both a disaster with those two teams. You know, Ira, so yesterday is old-timers day. Had a bunch of buddies get together. We're all big Yankee fans. So like, all right, you know, Yankees are playing great. So we had to, got together, had a barbecue, and we were all um, turn, you know, ready to turn the TV off after about an inning of that game yesterday. But before the Yankees got shelled by the Astros, um, we were looking pretty good going into this. The Yankees won three out of the four from the Astros, the two of the best teams in the, in the American League. They got... Judge back, Stanton back, Didi back. I mean, Sanchez from last year was playing terrible, has 23 homes. And Carcione's, who they traded for for nothing, got 20, is this leader that was 23. I mean, yeah, one night, Sanchez, Torres, and Lemieux hit home runs, and Carcione had another home run. And there was like the, the third straight day that Sanchez and Torres had hit home runs. These teams, they're just, they're amazing. They're playing great. I, I still think the Astros are a better team when they're healthy. Um, but it's going to be, that's the American League Championship Series, and we'll see what happens. And Verlander, well, that's the benefit of Verlander. He comes in on Sunday with this mess that was going on yeah. and was able to shut the Yankees down. Um, but it was, the Yanks look amazing, and it's fun to see this team with, now everybody's back, everybody's healthy. And the team does, uh, uh, they, the team does get, Aaron Boone's doing a good job at manager. The team seems to get along. Everybody, it's like the same thing what Roberts is doing. It doesn't seem that people are upset when they're not playing. They seem they're rooting for yeah. the other players, and that's going to be the key. It's his ability not just to do the, the analytics, but to manage the personalities on this team. Speaking of the Dodgers, they're pretty darn good, and you think this might be the best Dodgers team we've seen in years. Well, quite possibly. This could be one of the best teams of all time. I mean, the way they're going. First of all, they had this week Will Smith and Alex Verdugo and Matt Beattie, three rookies, all hit 
walk-off home runs, which has like never been done before on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Walk-off home runs as rookies, you're like, oh, they're a good team. But they also have veterans like Bellinger and Muncie and Seager and Justin Turner. I mean, this team, Russell Martin, a catcher, they are so loaded, Jock Peterson and in the outfield, but then they're pitching. They have Rue, who has... Who would have thought Hugh Jin Ryu would be the Cy Young Award winner at Nine and one with yeah. a 1-2-70 ERA. Bueller is eight and one with a 2-86 ERA. On Friday, he had a 16-KO complete game. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're watching the Dodgers and like, wait, is this Sandy Koufax? Is this Fernando Valenzuela? They're pitching complete games. Like everyone says, well, the Dodger bullpen. But Bueller... I never thought Kershaw's having a... a be- he could be comeback player of the year, and he's the fourth best starter. Seven and one and 285. I mean, yeah. this team, they have the hitting, and they're like... That's why they're people... I mean, the Dodgers look like the most complete team. They have the pitching, and they have the hitting, and they have the clutch play. Everything's going well for them, and uh, they look... I mean, they're at 54 and 25. This team could win 110, 115 games. Like, they're going to be amazing. Speaking of... Um, well, not speaking of winning games, Tampa does win. And nobody shows up for this team. And I actually heard a, you know, I don't want to say a rumor, but there's new, you know, uh, rumors circulating, I guess we'll call it, that the, they only got that team because of George Steinbrenner. He wanted a team in, a, in Tampa, and he kind of pushed Major League Baseball's hand on that. because Tam- And Tampa didn't have the means to really support a team, and now we're seeing it, where they're putting out 3,000 fans a night. It, it, it's kind of embarrassing, but... Something I never thought would happen, especially in baseball, such an old, regulated sport. They've gotten permission, Tampa Bay, to split their home games in Montreal and be a, the first ever in, in American sports dual city team, Ira. And I think this is crazy. Two victory parades. You could go from Tampa <laughs> and then Montreal. Um <laughs> They, it was built the stadium. They built the stadium before they got the team, 1990, and then they were they they then it, then they lost out to Miami and Colorado for expansion. Then San Francisco was going to come there, but then that was blocked because they didn't want. There was a whole thing about San Francisco that they were they San Francisco was ready. They signed that they were ready to go. Mm-hmm. Now what a stupid move that would be. The Giants were going to move San Francisco when you see what they play right now in their park, the AT&T Stadium, yeah. and Oracle Park they call it now, the most beautiful stadium, whatever. That was just that, and they were going to leave San Francisco and that t- to go to Tampa Bay. That was crazy to play in what they're playing in now. The and, Trop might be the worst venue in all of sports. And 1995, they finally got their team, but their stadium was already outdated when they got that. And it's the only fixed, they don't, it's a dome, but it's not retractable roof. Um, I don't think uh, this Tampa will not be in Tampa. They're trying, the problem is they're in St. Pete. They're not in Tampa, whereas they, they have to be, that they can't find a location. But now there's enough, there's a lot of interest from all these other cities to move that team. Montreal, if they build a stadium, they're not going to play half. They're going to be, it's all, all going to be in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And Las Vegas wants that team. Las Vegas is their uh, minor league team is out drawing Tampa. Mm-hmm. And they really want a team. Now they're showing what they did for hockey. They're getting football. Uh, they want that. There's a Nashville, Portland, everybody Everybody's now ready to get this team. That Tampa team's not going to be there. I say their lease is to 2027. I think in two, three years. By I would say this is going to get resolved soon. This because the American, also baseball wants to expand and add two more teams. They can't expand until Oakland gets a gets a Oakland gets a, a stadium and Tampa gets a stadium or mm. moves. No, yeah, it makes sense. I agree with you. I don't think it lasts another decade. It's clearly not an issue with the level of fans because they are excellent with filling up the stadium for hockey, the XL Center. So there is a fan base there, just not for the stadiums in St. Pete. But anyone who's been in Tampa knows that St. Pete and Tampa are far apart, especially when there's tons of traffic and it's not. So they're not getting Tampa fans to go to St. Pete. And St. Pete's small, which is, is a small little town, and that's just in a hard location to get to. And it's just a Everything with Tampa has been done wrong. They know how to run their team. They've had a successful team. 
They just have the wrong park. It's really sad of how good they've been for getting no support. Uh, real quick, let's talk tennis before we get to David Armstrong. Um, oh, real, real fast about tennis. Uh, Wilbleton comes up in a week. Roger Federer won his 10th title at Howe. He looked tremendous. I watched him during that entire tournament. And Ashley Barty of Australia became the number one women's player uh, winning the Nature Valley tournament, the other glass court tournament there. She won the French this year. She won in Miami. It's interesting about Ashley Barty. She's only 23 years old. She took two years off to be a professional cricket player. So she was a star junior tennis player. She did what Michael Jordan did. She took time off, played baseball. She played cricket. Was probably, they said, a better cricket player (laughs) than Jordan was baseball player. But then she went back to tennis and now she's number one in the world. So, and the first Australian to be number one in 43 years. And real quick, uh, golf over the weekend. Shea Ravie, uh, guy's a decent golfer, doesn't get a lot of press, but uh, he took this one down. He was third at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. So he's someone who had a gap. The weird thing is that 11 years ago, he won a tournament. 250 events, 11 years, he won the Canadian Open. He came back and won this tournament over Keegan Bradley. Um, it was fu- just one real fast buzz. Brooks Kepka teed off first on Sunday. He played his round in under three hours. <laughs> That's crazy. So it was like, but it was like, it was interesting. And then the rocket, the rocket mortgage field, he still shot a 72 and he finished, uh, uh, and he finished 21st and uh, Knox finished 21st. But um, the rocket mortgage is in Detroit next week. Uh, Ricky Fowler's in it. Don't even watch his commercials. You see Ricky Fowler and Woodland's in that and Dustin Johnson in a 3M the following week. I saw Mickelson Kepka day, but it's like what the Honda is. You have all these tournaments where you have like four or five stars, but not all of the, mm-hmm. and, and they're all, and then John Deere's in Illinois, but then everyone in the Britain four weeks, the British Open is going to be, and that's going to be whatever all the golfers go back to. We are out of time, Ira. Uh, real quick, we're going to speak with uh, David Armstrong. Remind us who David is and uh, why this interview is going to be great. Uh, the president of St. Thomas University uh, in uh, Miami Gardens uh, and someone who's starting a football program in St. Thomas uh, and also has really expanded their basketball program. And, and it's interesting because he was a former football player and also because it, they, they work with their inner relationship with the Dolphins and the Super Bowl because they're actually the closest uh, school yeah. to where the Super Bowl and all the volunteers are going to be there. And everyone who goes down to the Super Bowl and all the events are going to see uh, St. Thomas University. You're not going to want to miss this, so stick around. It's happening right now. We'll talk to you next Monday night, Iron Sports. 95.9 The True Oldies Channel. It's Iron Sports. Mike and Ira here. And we've got with us the president of St. Thomas University in Miami Gardens. His name is David Armstrong. Ira, what do you have for David? David, thanks a lot for coming on our show. Um, tell us a little about St. Thomas University. I know you're located in Miami Gardens and you've just become the president this past year. But uh, just tell us a little about the school. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going in on uh, 10 months and 24 days. Not that anybody's counting. And uh, it's been a wonderful time here in Florida. You know, I'm a Cleveland, Ohio kid, so I've seen more sun uh, in the last 10 months than I've seen in my whole life. So that's been wonderful. Um, But uh, St. Thomas University is a great uh, Catholic university. First, you have to talk about the fact that it's an archdiocesan Catholic university. There's only eight diocesan Catholic universities left in the country, and St. Thomas University is one of them. That means we follow the teachings of the local archbishop, uh, Archbishop Thomas Wensky. And uh, St. Thomas University actually has the great Miami story. Uh, It was actually founded in 1946 in Cuba as the first private Catholic university in Cuba and was thrown out by Fidel Castro himself. Uh, The Augustinian priest who founded the institution from Philadelphia originally uh, founded the institution in um, Cuba in Havana and then were thrown out in 1961. And those brave Augustinians didn't give up. They came right back to Miami, and the archdiocese gave them a plot of land where we are currently uh, off of um, the Palmetto and named it Biscayne College for Men. 
and uh, that was in 1961. So our U.S. presence is 1961. But it's a great lesson to all the young people today who think that socialism and getting things free is the right way. But if you don't own your property, you can't practice your faith. And that's exactly what happened at St. Thomas University. And then in 1984, uh, the school went back to its original name of St. Thomas University and also started a law school at that time. And we have one of the best law schools in the state, and uh, we're ranked number one uh, in serving Hispanics in the country for two years running at our law school. And uh, so we've been doing a great job there for many, many years. Uh, St. Thomas University, uh, last fall we started with 900 full-time undergraduate students, and we had 550 full-time students in the law school. We have um, our headcount, however, is almost up to 5,000 because we do a lot of things with dual enrollment high school students, and with uh, part-time and adults. Uh, we have 50 majors. Um, we like to give a cross-discipline, broad range of uh, programs. We are very well known for business, for sports administration. We are the first school in the country to have sports administration. Don Shula himself helped start that program in 1973. Uh, if you didn't know, the Miami Dolphins practiced here from 1970 to 1993. That means the perfect season was here. And so that leads us into one of the reasons why we started football. We want to bring football back to St. Thomas University. So talk about that. I know um, I, my connection with you is that I know D.P. Harris, who was from St. Vincent University uh, in, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and you brought D.P. down from St. Vincent to St. Thomas, and he's going to be you know do phenomenal with your basketball program. But talk about doing the football program and starting the football program and the reasons for it. Sure, yes, you're absolutely right about D.P. I uh, I, for years, he beat me uh, at St. Vincent when I was at Notre Dame College in Cleveland. We were in the same conference, and then uh, at Thomas More, and I figured I'm, I might as well get him to join me. So, you know, if you can't beat him, you, you, you get him. And so we're very happy that DP is down here, and very excited to see what's going to happen with basketball. Uh, as far as football goes, this is my second time, uh, my second go-around starting a football program. Uh, I myself, when I attended Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania, came in in the second year of a, a new football program when football programs were kind of dying out because of Title IX. And um, so I have this uh, experience as a player. Uh, and then I was a head college football coach of a program that was a turnaround, and so building that program up. And then started the football program at Notre Dame College in Cleveland uh, about t 12 years ago. And this year they actually made it to the Final Four undefeated, one of the best teams in the country. And uh, I knew that uh, one of the reasons that attracted me to the position at St. Thomas University is to be able to start another football program and uh, I was surprised that it didn't have it, especially with the tie with the Miami Dolphins. But the bottom line is this, is that I knew we'd be successful here uh, because every single program in the country, regardless of division, regardless of association, recruits South Florida. And there are plenty of young people that go to Cleveland or Pennsylvania or West Virginia or Iowa and don't have a great experience. They don't like the weather. They're away from their family. They come home and they don't finish school. And that was our pitch to all our uh, new student-athletes, to be a part of something special, be the foundation, and be able to play good, quality, small scholarship college football here in their hometown. And also, and, uh, I guess... It's worked out very well. The numbers uh, right now, we have over 200 commits for this coming year. Wow. And then I guess the other th benefit was if you are in Cleveland, Ohio, in the middle of December, it's nice to be going to school in Miami Gardens and, and enjoying the weather down here. Um, you, your university is located next to Hard Rock Stadium. Is that correct? I mean, so that's, that's, that is a nice tie in terms of being right next to the, uh, the, team, the stadium for the Miami Dolphins. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I, when I took the job, I called Nat Moore. I had heard that they were going to move out of no Nova for their practice 
Nova Southeastern for their practices. And I said, hey, what do you think about coming back to the original place because we're going to start football? And Nat says, Dave, you're a couple months too late. We decided we're going to build a, a wonderful practice facility at the Hard Rock, which is awesome for us because it's right down the road. And, and, and we're actually going to honor all the Miami Dolphins and the Miami Dolphins organization in our first ever home game on September 7th. And so we're very excited about that, and they're going to get receive our first Bobcat Community Award. And um, we want to keep that tie with the Miami Dolphins because of the great history and, um, you know, the tradition. And uh, hopefully we'll both have some perfect seasons coming up very soon. And um, it's also interesting you're tied to NFL football. Um, David, I saw where Dave Gettleman, general manager of the New York Giants, is a graduate of St. Thomas. So that's another little pull in terms of, uh, of your connection to the NFL. Yes, you know, it's amazing. This sports administration program that was started uh, back in the 70s and really has flourished, we have leaders of organizations all around the country in sports organizations, the Giants, the Detroit Tigers, the head baseball coach at LSU, uh, the the general manager and vice president here at the Miami Heat, uh, Annie Ellisberg, is a a grad of St. Thomas. And so they're everywhere, and that's, that's a program that we're going to grow even further. It's, you can get a degree at the bachelor's level in sports administration, the master's, and a doctoral level, and a lot of it now is online. And so that is a program that has done very, very well for the institution. We have a growing nursing program. We started nursing a couple years ago and uh, started out with 11 students. Now we have over 150. That's another program that we really want to grow, and we're very excited about it. And a way a college like ours grows its programs, we're all recruiting financially leveraging. And those programs are academic, co-curricular, and extracurricular. So the nursing program is an example. We're going to start ethical leadership studies here. Um, we'll be the only school in the country to have it at the bachelor's, master's, and doctoral level. And um, we're very excited about those new programs. Plus, we have marching band that we're starting and a choir. Uh, students can get scholarships for that. And then we had 14 sports when I came here. We now have 15, and we will have more. And so we're looking at women's lacrosse and wrestling and field hockey and swimming and diving and those, those kind of things. And so we're very excited. And it gives us an opportunity to spread our, uh, the knowledge of St. Thomas University and the quality of education we have. You know, for example, in that football season, we're actually going to play a game up in Broward at St. Thomas Aquinas. And so uh, the wonderful people there said, hey, why don't you have a home game here? And so it, it's been pretty special, and, and we've been nicknamed the communities team, and that's the way we feel over these, two, these 200 recruits. The majority of them, if not almost all of them, have come from Miami-Dade, Broward, and uh, West Palm, and so uh, Palm Beach County. So it's been pretty, pretty special. And we talked about, before you got on the air, we talked about you're the president of the university, and sports has become, I mean, we talk about the one-and-done rules, and you're talking about the big-time programs, and the shoe contracts, and, and all the bad things about sports and, and college athletics. But you're now bringing the side of it's positive for the school, it's positive for these athletes. So talk about a little bit more about what the value you have on sports in terms of being the president of a university. Uh, you know, thank you for saying that. that that's just, just a wonderful question because – so many times in media today, we always look at the negative. For me, in my life personally, professionally, sports has been a great, um, uh, probably you know, the centerpiece of what I, who I am and what I do. As a president, the skill sets that I use every day are the skill sets I learned on the football field. Hard work, discipline, a positive attitude, teamwork, colorblindness. And aren't these all the things that we need in this country today? Toughness and grit, okay, not being coddled. And so, to me, sports gives you all those things. 
And so, and, and especially for me, football being a contact sport, I think it's the true education of mind, body, and spirit. It puts everything together. And so when you're looking at ways to improve society, in my opinion, is you put students, student-athletes, in a situation with a good quality coach who's going to push them to achieve things that they never thought they could achieve. And then that goes into the classroom. It goes into their personal life. It goes into their spiritual life. And so for me, it, 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 for a campus community, it's about, it is about community. It's about spirit. And there's no better way to create enthusiasm and spirit on a campus than having great quality teams and coaches and student athletes and people cheering them on, representing the institution all around the country. And so uh, I'm just a big proponent of it. Uh, everything that I've achieved in my life, I be, believe, is because of my parents and the coaches and the leadership and the mentorship that I had in my life. And I think it's a great vehicle to develop the skill sets needed to be successful. I have parents tell me all the time, you know, there's this, uh, the CTE thing. I'm not a CTE denier. I believe it's real, okay? But when they say, you know, I don't think, I think it'd be dangerous for my kid to play. And I would say, you know what, it's dangerous for your kid not to play. So how are you going to get the skill sets that you need to survive in this world? And I'd much rather take that risk and have my child learn those skill sets so they can go out and be successful. We're talking to President David Armstrong of St. Thomas University in Miami Gardens. Uh, uh, President Armstrong, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, one last question. Uh, your tie, I know the Super Bowl, of course, next year is going to be in uh, South Florida. And are you going to, are you have any workings with the Super Bowl? Because your facilities and your campus is like right next to where the Super Bowl is going to be housed. Uh, what is your relationship with the Super Bowl and the NFL? So we've actually had a great relationship over the years with when the Super Bowl comes to Miami, and uh, this year is going to be our biggest one yet. We're actually going to be the home base for the volunteers. We we're thinking that we're going to have 10,000 volunteers uh, being taught on this campus. We're going to have a big uh, athletic camp for the youth in the area. They're going to receive uh, uh, book bags and all kinds of materials here on our campus, and our football team is going to lead that. Um, in addition, uh, we are going to make ourselves available to the Super Bowl uh, committee whenever they need it. And with our sports administration majors, all our students will be volunteering and working in the Super Bowl. And so, to me, this is one of the great things about being here in South Florida and Miami is that, you know, the world comes here to play. And so we're going to be a part of that. And because of our sports administration program and our history with the Dolphins and our history with the Super Bowl, uh, thank, thankfully they're counting on this. And lastly, and the most important, is we're actually going to have – a symposium on the importance of big major athletic events and Super Bowls on our campus, and it's going to be advertised as part of Super Bowl week, that symposium. We're going to have speakers from all over the country come to our campus and have an academic symposium on the importance and the economics of major sports events in our country. Well, that's going to be awesome. I mean, I don't think people realize I've been to I've been to six Super Bowls, and it's not just the game. I mean, it is the events leading to the game for for at least the week before and even a couple days afterwards. And and it's a great way for you to to sell. First of all, it's a great way to sell the area. That's why they've made the improvements to the stadium to have the Super Bowl and why the Super Bowl was so coveted. But actually, for your school to be such an integral part of the Super Bowl experience is going to be great for the school, your students, and uh, everybody associated with it I, I can't wait iron i'm uh, I, i'm so impressed that you went to six so it's on my bucket list i haven't been to any i'm really hoping i can go there since it's miami now my <laughs> friends in cleveland think that we're going to be in the super bowl with the browns I, i'm holding off on that one uh but uh i'm hoping i get there but we are very proud of uh, our work with the super bowl over the years and you know it's the true national holiday now and it crosses all ethnicities all creeds 
all colors. The Super Bowl is the U.S. holiday, so we're so happy to be a part of it. Well, President Armstrong, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll get to hear about how you're maybe bring you back uh, in the fall to see how your program's doing. And then also before basketball season when uh, DP Harris takes on, uh, starts the program, uh, doesn't start, but continues the success that your program has had in basketball. Well, thank you so much for having us on. And uh, you and Mike are always welcome to be on our campus anytime. Thank you very much.